1: Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. As always, I am so excited to share this episode with you. Today, I am chatting with Jana and Morgan, who are the team behind a new book called AAC Visualized. And in this interview, we are talking all about AAC, how to move beyond requesting. And they share so many amazing actionable tips for how to incorporate AAC into your school day, into your home setting. I really just love their perspective and mindset on this, and I think it makes it less overwhelming, and really just more exciting. Um, Jana is an early childhood autism teacher and an AAC specialist. Morgan is a BCBA, so they bring a great set of skills to this topic, and I can't wait for you to learn from them. Let's jump in. Hi, Jana and Morgan. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having us. We are so excited
2: to be here. I'm like a big fan, and (laughs) I love everything you do. Like, Pinterest is my go-to to to find all things Autism Helper. I love that. And,
1: you know, I spent, like, many, many years just sitting on my couch on my blog and on Pinterest, so I'm happy that paid off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely has helped thousands of teachers.
1: (laughs) Well, I am really excited to have you guys on today because AAC is a topic that I am always really passionate about learning more and more about. And I always feel like there's new trends and new activities and new research that we kind of, you know, need to share with our field. And I also feel like it's not talked about enough. So I'm so excited for you both to share your expertise on this topic today.
0: I totally agree. So I'm, a, um, I'm a BCBA. And so I work a lot with this population that we're talking about, um, you know, those who could benefit from AC. But honestly, um, I didn't learn that much about it until like the past year when working with um, Jana, who is way more of an AC expert than I am and um, and learning from her and uh, and collaborating for, uh, for our new book. Um, but I've been totally inspired by the overlap of like how teachers and SLPs and BCBAs can work together um, and all like that with that AAC can help benefit um, students and our shared clients. So I'm so inspired by this topic right now. Yes. And I'm happy you brought
1: up that like interdisciplinary collaborative relationship because that's what our kids need. And like sometimes, you know, different fields get a bad rap for not playing nice yes. and sandbox with others. <laughs> not naming you names. You that so politely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's like exciting to have, you know, a BCBA as well. That's like, okay, like, let's, we need to be talking about this more. And same, Morgan, like, I I knew a lot about AAC as a teacher. Like, I was a teacher first, BCBA second. But in grad school, you don't really learn about this, you know? So it's exciting to have more and more clinicians and teachers sharing and talking on their platforms and in books and all that, all of the important reasons why we need to incorporate this and then how to. Mm -hmm. I think the how is really important. Yeah. And that's what what everyone's getting today. So let's kind of, you know, the struggle, and this is, I think, why I'm always passionate about learning about it, too, is when I was a classroom teacher, I struggled with Mm -hmm. how to incorporate our devices in a meaningful way, especially our high-tech ones. And Mm -hmm. I know that that's not just me. That's a common struggle. What is kind of the biggest challenge to incorporating AAC into the school or the home setting?
2: I think exactly what you said, not really knowing how to incorporate it, when to use AAC, when to model it, and then even what to model. Like once maybe you've set up your high tech device or connected it to a smart board or you have your big printed uh, core boards around the classroom. And then it's kind of like, what what am I supposed to be actually Modeling now, or how do I incorporate this into our daily classroom routines and our culture? So I like to call my classroom like an AAC immersion classroom. Just like there's um, dual immersion, it's it's really a cultural thing that everyone is doing and everyone's getting and everyone participates in. So it's really the like the how, when, and what to model is kind of a barrier in the beginning stages of using AAC.
1: Oh my God, I love that, an AAC immersion classroom. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> and that, I that wish touches. everyone can see videos if you, of Jana's classroom. I was so inspired when I saw all of how she's just incorporating with everything. And not all of her students are using AAC, but they all are mm-hmm. just Benefiting. totally It's totally a normalized thing in her classroom that you can just communicate all different ways. Um, So she's really, you know, being a a model for how teachers can incorporate it. Um, But I want to add in, I work a lot also with families and like teachers, families are really busy and overwhelmed and even just kind of suggesting like one extra thing to do can be overwhelming. And um, we wanted to kind of give a specific tip here of just starting small. So even if you're just starting by picking one or two words that you want to focus on teaching, uh, that's fine. And just really showing how the that word can be used throughout the day in different activities, in the versatility, and the power of that one word or two words and then over time building building that up and building that language and so it's okay to just start small and don't feel like you have to take everything you're seeing about AAC and apply it on day one because that can feel like really a lot and be pretty defeating right away. I think that was
1: kind of my struggle as well because I was like it has to be included in everything and that's like advice I give now like it's embedded into your, day, your child's voice But then I also at the same time am saying what you're saying, like, but start small. And it's like, well, you can't do both. And I think that that's where the struggle is of kind of like, you know, letting yourself have those baby steps of like, let's be successful with this piece. And like, that's not where we're stopping, but that's where we're starting just to get successful with everything.
0: Yes. And I learned this um, from Jana, this like doing like word of the week. Um, And so you can pick a core word. um, And so like a word that has a lot of uh, versatility. So like the word like or help or go and stop if you want to do um, opposites. And then everyone is just doing modeling on the AC system. Like throughout the whole day. Um, And then over time, you can really build up and and continue to add on to more and more of these words. Uh, And so even just saying like to just pick one word to start, um, or just starting with one activity. So picking one part of the day that you're really going to focus on modeling AAC. Um, And I think that helps uh, teachers and families not feel like that they're not doing as much as they can when you give them a more reasonable place to start off.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not like, Oh, try to like do this all day. It's like just yes. one, one thing. And actually, can you give a little because I think just to make sure everyone you know, there's all these new, um, new concepts too in the last five, mm-hmm. 10 years, can you give a little background on, on really what core vocabulary is and why, why it's important to teach and, and how maybe that's different than how we were taught to teach communication and requesting and language maybe 1015 years ago?
2: Yes. So core words are the words that we use about 80% of the time. So when we're having everyday conversation, like just now I counted in my head, you said the word the like twice in one sentence. I'm like, oh, two (laughs) core words right there. So these are the words that we use. All day, every day, in very conversational ways. There are also words that, um, you know, when we're developing language are some of our first words that we learn. Um, Also, when you think of like, there are like high frequency words. So when we think about kindergarten um, spelling words, a lot of those core words are also these high frequency words. So there were words like Morgan was saying, that are very, very versatile. You can use the word like or go throughout your day so many times, like we're gonna go to recess, we're gonna go line up, go sit down at circle time, it's time for lunch, go eat. So just using that one word and focusing and starting there, starting small and modeling that word go, so every time, a staff member, the teacher says, go, we're going to, I call it the point and say strategy. You're going to point to the word go, and you're going to say, go eat, go sit, um, and just really focusing on these words. So there's a specific list of core words, like, um, if you just Google it, usually like the top 100 core words, those are the words you really want to focus on. And that is kind of a shift and a trend that is happening, I would say more recently, whereas before, um, maybe we were heavier on PEX picture communication exchange where we were starting out with words that are favorite things um, nouns like bubbles and juice and cookie and chip and now there's kind of been a shift away from starting with those very specific nouns to more core words more of those versatile words and I remember even printing out um like core boards, and my core boards were filled with nouns, puzzle, (laughs) and, you know, um, blocks, and Legos, and bubbles, and now when I'm printing core boards, 80% of those words are going to be those core words, and then maybe a couple of fringe words if it's for a specific activity, like at the bottom.
1: How have you seen the shift from going to more of that, like, you know, noun specific and those like preferred items, like teaching that as like those first mm-hmm. words to the idea mm-hmm. of core? How have you seen that with your students in your caseload on the success of language development communication?
2: Yes. So I see when I'm teaching in, at snack time, when we're doing traditional like man training and we're sitting down at snack time, instead of teaching Oreo and juice, I'm teaching eat like, good, more, have, and really avoiding um, specific nouns, specifically call them fringe words, um, and then we're seeing generalization happening a lot faster with those words at circle time or at center time. Um, sometimes for students, especially my very young, my three-year-olds, it is a little easier to start with those fringe words and that's okay too but I always have my staff pair it with a core word eat oreo get oreo like oreo have oreo that oreo um things like that so if it is if we are going to start with those specific words for our our very young learners I always encourage pairing it with a core word
0: and I think one of the I think one of the, um, the things that's really happening with this shift towards more core language like Jana is describing is also a shift away from focusing only on requesting uh, for those um, – well, for everyone, but also especially those who are just learning AAC. So in the example that Jana was saying at snack, the student can only request Oreo, juice if you're just getting – using the PECs, how it was established. Whereas if you're using the core words, you can make comments, you can ask questions, you can say, I like it, I don't like it. And you're really um, having more and more exposure to different types of communication. Uh, and so um, I love that because the, the um, students are getting more immersion um, to different ways to communicate in the power of language besides just requesting.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. You know what I, and, and kind of what you're all saying is, is kind of what I saw too, that when, you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. Like if you can teach the word eat, you know, or more or go, there's so many more uses than the word Oreo, you know, like, and, and it's yeah. going to be so much more functional in the long run. And, you know, I was thinking about, as you're talking about mentioning PEX and, you know, I, I went through the whole PEX training many, many moons mm-hmm. ago and, and the mm-hmm. idea of being stuck at requesting, I definitely saw frequently because when I even when I would try to move away and go to, more to commenting and questions, to me that textbook book was such a it was such a cue for requesting that like when mm-hmm. I tried to do anything else with that book, mm-hmm. it was like, Well, where's my cookie? You know what I mean? Like yes. I, this, this book is my way to get my cookie. <laughs> well, and, yes. and and so we
0: kind of got stuck a little bit. So
1: do you see that yeah. happen as well?
0: Yeah. I don't want to like hate on requesting because Yeah, no, same. It's just more, <laughs> It's obviously really, really an important part of communication, um, but just that it's not the only part of communication. And the reason why teaching requesting is so important, often some of the first skills that we do teach, especially in ABA, is because requesting is usually a replacement for a challenging behavior. And so if they're, if the student is having a lot of tantrums or aggression or whatever that is because they can't communicate their needs by giving them the better way to communicate that by teaching them to request will make their challenging behaviors decrease which is better great for everyone but we're also giving them really powerful communication and teaching them like when you say this you can get what you need you can get what you want um, and then kind of expanding on from there to teach other types of communication so that's the rationale. Also, there's a lot of motivation in place when someone's requesting something, to request for a break, to request for Oreos. There's a lot of motivation. And sometimes just starting to communicate what whatever form that is, can be hard. And so that's why requesting um, is often chosen as some of the first skills to teach within the communication. Um, But there is that more shift now to Um, if you're teaching requests, to also be modeling all the other types of communication as well. So it's more of just a a part of the communication we're teaching. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it, to kind of start that
1: next step. And and also not just ending, you know, once we've established a strong repertoire of of requesting, what's that what's that next step look like? And we're kind of if we're modeling it already, we're maybe already mm-hmm. on the way there, ideally. Yes, exactly. So mm-hmm. what are some activities that help set up, you know, this this kind of process of even going beyond requesting? Cause I think we're all kind of maybe more familiar with, oh, these are great activities that will, you know, evoke some communication and you know, snack time's gonna be great or playtime. Mm-hmm. But what are some other activities that can in- encourage more communication, especially beyond requesting? I think
2: books, yeah, <laughs> books and songs and music. Those are the two ways at circle time that I can really model a lot of language. So in my classroom on our Promethean bar or smartboard, and I know some teachers don't have them, probably a lot of teachers, but I will split the screen. So on the right side, it will have our favorite song, our favorite story up there. And then on the right side, we'll have an iPad that's connected, that's mirrored, that I'm able to model the language on. And songs are great because, you know, kids love them. And so they're just sitting there and they don't even know that they're being modeled to. Like I'm doing it for my AAC users in my classroom, but it's really benefiting all of my students because it's a visual language. And all of my students are benefiting from having this visual language that's playing side by side with the music. And then with books, I know there's a lot of books like Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see with a lot of repetition? So using repetition to model those words. So in Brown Bear, I might focus on, you know, um, the word see or what and see, what do you see? I might focus on colors when I'm modeling. I might focus on the animals when I'm modeling. Um, but using songs and books so that it's not just request, request, request. I'm commenting, I'm leaving out maybe the last word, what do you? And I'm and then I'll say it verbally, what do you? And then I'll activate C. And a lot of my students will imitate after the AAC device and fill in that blank as like a little prompt for them.
0: And oh, it was amazing. the cutest thing in, uh, in Jana's classroom. So some of her students do have... AC devices, some don't. You could get just give some of them like a paper core board. But she hooks up the device and the smart board just for one student, but they all think they're controlling it. And so they're all taking it very seriously on like who's pressing which one to kind of continue oh on with God, this I song. And um, and these are like three and four-year-olds. And yes. so building it into an activity where now the communication has made the activity more fun so it's thinking about what activities are they already enjoying and how can you just add in language into that and so it's making the activity even more fun and it's not like it's time to do AAC like it's work Um, and so that the circle time if you were um, working with the younger kids is a great time to add it in because it's so routine and it's repetitive um, and they will just naturally start joining in. I love that tip of sp- splitting the
1: screen on your smart board. I mean, that's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> My gosh. You know, you've both mentioned quite a bit modeling. And for, mm-hmm. you know, those listeners that are maybe newer to AAC or kind of trying to visualize what that would look like, can you kind of maybe explain some situations on what modeling would look like and how like a, a teacher or a parent would do it, but also why that strategy is really important and effective?
2: For the why, I when we think of aac we see it as a full complete sometimes you hear the word robust it is a full language so it we act as if we were teaching another completely different language to our students as in like french or japanese we are teaching aac as a language and they could have different languages depending on the um, communication app that you're using Um, and you can kind of get specific if you have like a majority of students on a specific app that's the app that you're going to model or you're going to point and say throughout the day but when we think about it we don't expect babies to start speaking immediately as soon as they're born they are getting a year a year and a half sometimes two years of Input They're hearing their everyone around them speak to them on and they're seeing it on TV and story time. They're getting all of this language that comes in before we even ask them to say their first words. And yet, for an AAC user, as soon as we give them and hand the device over to them or the core board, there's an expectation that they're gonna know how to use it and how to speak back to us. But there is some research that says if an AAC user gets only 20 to 30 minutes of speech every week, it would take 84 years to get the same amount of language exposure as an 18-month-old. Oh my so when we put it into that context and that perspective of they have, we have to use AAC to teach AAC, they need that experience through modeling through us as the adults in their life, showing them when I want to eat something, I can come and say, eat, eat Oreo, that the adults need to be giving them that input in this visual language
1: um, with AAC. My gosh, that was explained so well. I just want to like like, two minute little thing um, and like send it to everyone. Um, Awesome. No, thank you. And then and then, so when you're saying modeling, so if you're sitting with a kid yes. and they want Oreo, mm-hmm. you're meaning like you're taking their 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 Device iPad and you're and you're putting their- it in there, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm saying eat
2: Oreo. Um, I like to not do I want phrases or more because those two in my class, like I after years of doing it, once we teach more or I want blank, they are like the keys. Like I've given the keys see the castle and they just have to press more and they're going to get more of it. So I like (laughs) to hold off on teaching both of those, but exactly. Say we're at circle time um, and they're having Oreos, I'm modeling eat Oreo, get Oreo, um, like Oreo. And every time I'm modeling it, I'm giving them um, an Oreo. The other piece is we do what's called an expected pause. And so like I'm modeling it a couple of times and then I'm just going to wait before I hit Um, eat or Oreo and usually they go for Oreo because they know like Mm -hmm. that's the quickest way so maybe their first attempt they're gonna go straight for Oreo and that's fine and we give a big celebration for that so when we say modeling all that looks like is pointing and saying while while we're speaking you're gonna highlight those key words or those key nouns while you're just doing your regular speech like it's time to eat hit eat as I'm saying eat let's Go outside. I'm gonna hit go as we go outside. So modeling is just quite insane.
1: Yeah, that and I think sometimes people just get nervous on what that means. You know, like you both mentioned at the start that big challenge of how to incorporate it. It's like we have all this stuff, but now what do I do with it? And I was actually talking to a teacher a few weeks ago that they printed out you know, those big wall-sized core boards for all mm-hmm. of the life skills classrooms. She's like, this is great, but I don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that's a really good point. It's like the mm-hmm. school district probably spent a lot of money on these core boards and then mm-hmm. didn't give the training on what to do with it.
0: And that's where it goes back to that, uh, what we were talking about at the beginning of starting small and just picking. I think the, the word of the week strategy would be really – something easy to just implement. You can talk about it with your team. You know, what do we want our word of the week to be? SLP would be a great person to share insight on how you pick that word. And then it feels so much less intimidating. So you don't have this huge poster of 25 symbols. And now you're just focusing on one and just showing how that one word can be used throughout the whole day. Um, And with that, it also makes it easier for the students because they're also not going to be overwhelmed with like how Jana was saying, you don't want you're expecting me to all of a sudden use all of these buttons and icons to communicate. Um, so it's easier for the, the AAC supporters, the parents and the teachers and the paraprofessionals, as well as the students to just start, with, start small. Um, and if you're picking buttons from the core board, that's a good place to start, but definitely the SLP can help um, make that decision on what starting small looks like for the individual learner. That's a great point. It's overwhelming for the kids as
1: well. Like I think even, you know, from a sensory perspective, visually that like <laughs> huge core board or like even their small one or how many, you know, pictures are on your device. Yeah. If that was in another language, that would be really overwhelming for me, like as an adult. Exactly. Um, and you're mentioning, you know, t- getting your team on board too, with, you know, this, the idea of the word of the week would be a great way to kind of have everyone be consistent and you know, thinking to so many teachers that have paraprofessionals in the classroom and special teachers and grade level teachers, what tips do you have for for getting them on board with this? And I and I love how you've both been the way you've both been talking about AAC really does require a mindset shift, which is mm-hmm. great. I think we need to have the idea that this is another language and this is something that we want to incorporate. And we can't hand, you know, a device to a child and be like, there you go, you're good, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so how can we kind of explain this to our team and get our team on board with utilizing these strategies?
2: I love this question and I have like a sneaky way of doing it. So I love the start off. Way. I can't wait. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> it starts off with you know, you as the lead of the as of your classroom and just the excitement you have while you're doing all of your modeling. And then slowly, as the students start picking up and start using their systems and being independent, and the excitement that everyone feels the first time they're able to say Oreo or the first time they're able to say go or up and down and the excitement that comes from that. You just keep that momentum and that excitement going. But my little sneaky trick is in the beginning, I have like this whole year plan for this. So in the beginning, at circle time, I'm doing all of the modeling myself. So as I'm doing songs and books and calendar, I'm doing all of the modeling. Then within like the first like three months of school, I'll start making like little excuses like, The phone rings. Oh, let me take this call and I'll hand the iPad to one of my paraprofessionals (laughs) who has seen me model and knows exactly what core words we use at this song or exactly what core words we use during, you know, calendar, things like that. So they, when I'm modeling, I'm also modeling for the paraprofessionals for the support staff in the classroom. They don't know that of course, what they do now, but, (laughs) but that's basically ways. So, so then, Oh, I need to go, you know, talk to the principal. I'll be right back. Or, and so I just start handing the iPad to different staff members who sit behind circle time traditionally. So they sit up at, and my like little teacher chair and they're in charge of now writing the iPad and, you know, playing the songs and reading the stories. And so, So about three to like five, six months, now my paraprofessionals, maybe from the back behind, supporting the student from behind, is now doing the modeling for me while I'm doing the hand motions and the singing in the front. Then about six, seven months of um, towards the ending of the school year, then my student's iPads, after they've gotten all of this language input with this, uh, you know, repetitive songs and stories and books, now they're controlling my circle time from their little cube chair with their iPad. And I've had it maybe two years ago where I had like four students all on devices. And they like Morgan was saying, they didn't know which one was connected to it. And they all thought that they were now the circle time helper and running circle time (laughs) from their little cube chair and their iPad. So that's kind of my sneaky way. I've never sat all of my staff down. This is what AAC means. This is how we use it. This is how we model. This, you know, it's much more organic when it is an immersion AAC immersion uh, classroom. It's just part of the classroom and the culture and the norm of the classroom,
0: and that's how I get, you know, my paraprofessionals, my team on board. Oh my gosh! And I think that like Jana's, you know, all of those ideas are really show how to kind of seamlessly add that collaboration uh, and support in the classroom. But something else that's pa- that's a passion for Jana and I as the team is not just ending in the classroom, it's also including all the different service providers, the parents, the caregivers, grandparents, everyone is part of this AAC support team. And that's something that was really one of the main inspirations for our book that we are coming out with in October for AAC Awareness Month. Um, but it is that it's AAC is really, it's a team effort and having that collaboration between everyone, having the, everyone is working on the same system, the same words, the same targets. We can't have one person be doing PECs, one person really focusing on vocal, another person teaching sign language and AAC devices that becomes very confusing for the students and the families and the teachers. So in our book, we've um, put together all these different kind of templates and tools. I think, uh, Sasha, you would be proud of us. <laughs>
1: oh, my <God. laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, templates
0: and tools? That sounds amazing. <laughs> yes. um, for collaboration to make all of this easier for the team, training plans and um, and like little um like yeah, templates to help guide that collaborative practice, as well as um, the strategies we've been talking about. We've visualized all of them to hopefully make this AAC knowledge more accessible um, to the, the parents and families that really want to um, advocate and support their AAC users.
1: That's so exciting. I, I want to hear more about your book. I love that you are working on something that can help everyone get on the same page.
0: Yes, we're so excited about it. It's called AAC Visualized because we have visualized all the strategies for how we can first introduce AAC and then how you can um, help your AAC user really expand their um, communication and become more and more independent across lots of different skills. So not just requesting like we've talked about, but um, but. Uh, way more skills that include um, things like making comments, social comments, um, asking and answering questions, um, but it's really kind of a guide from start, like everyone who's just starting off with AAC, like what is it, what are the types, um, who can benefit, but it's really meant to be a way to empower families uh, to have the information about what AAC could look like and the benefits of it and what that whole process is going to look like and all of the communication um, that can really come out of incorporating AAC in your life.
1: Oh my gosh, that is so needed because I know that can be so overwhelming as a parent starting that Mm -hmm. process and to have kind of literally a guidebook will be very helpful.
2: Mm -hmm. One of my favorite like two Two-page spread of that is how to even get an AAC assessment. Like sometimes families know that their child would benefit and would want one, but they don't even know how to begin. Like how? Where do I go to get an assessment? Who pays for it? How do I get it funded? Um, so there's a one-page or two-page spread that we worked really hard on with our speech language pathologist, who lays out in a visual way the steps and the different options for funding and just how someone can go about getting an AAC assessment and device. Like that's like the first hurdle a lot of families encounter is not even knowing where to start. And there's so many like loops and hoops and that they have to jump through with insurance and school and just really a nice infographic of how do I even get an AAC assessment? I think that's probably my, one of my favorite page, two pages in
1: the book. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Well, we will link your website in the show notes so everyone can go get that when it comes out. Where else can people go to learn more from you, both of you? I have an Instagram. It's
2: aac.and.me. So I have videos from my classroom and me up at my smart board modeling and just lots of tips and tricks
0: um, from my
2: own classroom and my experience.
0: And my Instagram is ABA Visualize. That was our first book that we came out with. And so AAC visualized is the second um, book, the second kind of iteration of teaching uh, kind of expertise in an approachable way through visuals. So that's what is on my uh, Instagram as well, is kind of taking those behavioral concepts and turning them into really just relatable visuals to give that expertise uh, more in the hands of the people who need it. Awesome. Well, I will link both of your Instagram profiles in our show notes as well. And I
1: love both of their Instagram profiles. That's where I, that's where I found them and asked them to join me on the podcast. So thank you both so much. I could like chat about this, you know, all night, but I won't. So thank you both so much for sharing your expertise and your perspective. I think this was so helpful for teachers or clinicians, you know, that are newer to this and and hopefully parents as well. So I so appreciate you guys both taking the time to share tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening.